So today is a, is a, is a different day. Um, I am uh, Robert Chesser. I'm the pastor of, of uh, Karen Connection. Um, pastor Jason, our lead pastor, is taking a well-deserved break. And just as Chach said, I would encourage you guys to pray for him. Because you guys don't see him like we do. And, and he goes 90 miles an hour 24-7. Uh, he, he doesn't take breaks. He doesn't chill out very easily. He is on it because he knows on his heart, God has called his church, God's church, that he is called to lead. And uh, he takes it very seriously, as, as you, you can see, especially on a Sunday morning. He's up here going crazy. And, and he would have loved you guys bouncing with him this morning. So be in prayer for him and and. and I can tell you I've been on a lot of different staffs, and, and, and this is something special here at 1910. I've never been on a, on a staff that was like this, that, 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 that ran hard after the Lord, that really walked in and believing that God has something special here. So I want you guys, if you don't already, to believe what God's doing here. This is something special. When we leave and we go somewhere else, not that the other places aren't great, uh, we miss it. I miss being with my family. So it's great to be with you guys this evening. We are in a series called Tweet That Mess. And what it's about is all of, well, not all of, but some of those tweetable messages that we hear from Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, We're talking about them. And we've heard about some great things already so far in our series. And tonight, um, I want to talk to us about um, a specific one, it comes out of, of, of Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And it says this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He said, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Wow, talk about tweetable moments. If Jesus was here today, if he lived in our culture, and someone who was a leader or who was a religious person will say, ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What would everybody be doing? They'd be pulling out their smartphones, getting ready to tweet because that was a big deal. And what did Jesus say? Love God with all you are. And he gave them kind of a two for one, well, actually a three for one. And then he said, the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What I want us to hear today is that we hear great. But I just wonder what things would be like if Jesus was here today and we got to hang out with him. Maybe he's having dinner with us, you know, like he did with Zacchaeus. And we're sitting there and he says, hey, Rob, pass the rolls. These days in our culture, we'd be like, Jesus asked me to pass the rolls. Hashtag unbelievable. Hashtag awesome. Hashtag in his presence. Right? If we heard Jesus speak to us, It would always be awesome, right? But guess what? I believe that Jesus still speaks to us today through his word, through his people, and his spirit. But tonight we're going to talk about that one that we 
have read that's in the Gospels, the tweetable thing that Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So before we get started, will you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you that you have a message for us tonight. We pray that our hearts would be soft to you, that we would hear everything that you want us to hear. Holy Spirit, you have free reign in our hearts. You have free reign in this place. Lead us, give us insight, and give us courage to live out the things that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus said, love your neighbor, right? The first question is, well, who is my neighbor? Well, an expert in the law out of Luke 10 asked Jesus that same question. And to answer him, Jesus told him a story. He told him the story of the Good Samaritan. And as we've all heard about the Good Samaritan, it's a story about a man on his, on his way to Jericho, I believe, and he gets beat up by some, some thieves, some robbers, and left on the side of the road for dead. And the story talks about three people pass, well, three people meeting him. Two people, a priest and a Levite, passed him by. The priest and the Levite, they were too important to stop. They risked being unclean to stop and help someone, and they passed him by. The Samaritan was the one who stopped and helped him and rendered aid, and it's a great story. If you haven't read it or haven't read it in a while, go back. It's got some great stuff in it. But the Samaritan loved his neighbor. So when Jesus told the story about the, the, the Samaritan, he was telling us that our neighbor is someone in need. Our neighbor is someone in need. But you know what? We live in a crazy world, and so many of us, we are so laser-focused on the things that we're called to do. we got to go to HEB. we got to go to the post office. we got to do this. we got to do that. Many times, just like the Levite and the priest we believe that, that the purpose is in our destination and not that maybe in the midst of us doing the things that God has called us to do, God wants to show us people in need. God wants to show us people in need. Work hard every day, drive home to their house, hit the button for the garage door, drive in, shut it, and that's the end of their day. We don't talk to our neighbors anymore. We don't know what's going on in our community. God has called us to open our eyes and look for people in need. You know what's crazy? Reading the story of Zacchaeus out of Luke 19. Jesus wasn't on his way to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus was passing through Jericho. He had something to do, but he also knew that in the process of him doing that thing, God had certain things for him on the way. So his eyes were open. His heart was open. And as he passed this little man in the tree, Father God said, you're going to have dinner with him today and you're going to change his life. And Jesus, I'm sure he had a schedule, stopped because he knew it wasn't about the schedule. It was about someone in need. Jesus saw his neighbor. Last week, I was sitting in worship right over here and we were, as always, experiencing some, some awesome worship time. And um, 
there was a lady sitting in front of me. And the Lord just spoke to me and said, she needs to know that the truths that we're singing about are about her too. I'm like, Lord, no way. No way. She's going to think I'm some wacko. Uh, You know, uh, I can't. No. She doesn't know I'm a pastor. She doesn't even know me. And, um, you know, another song passed, and he's like, Robert, she needs to know these truths are about her too. And so a little delayed obedience at the end of the worship set, I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, I don't want to be, you know, sound weird or anything like that, but, but the Lord is telling me that these truths are for you that we, we sang about tonight. And guys, immediately she broke into tears. She began to cry. And I didn't know the whole story, but afterwards she came up and, and, and talked to me during the ministry time. And she said, I've been through some hard things. And I needed to hear that the truths that we were singing about were for me. And it doesn't mean I'm some special person and I have some in, special insight. It's simply because at that moment I was aware that I have a neighbor. I was aware that God wants, me, wants to use me in the lives of others that have a need that he can fill. And that lady left different than the way she came. So it means our neighbor is someone who's in need. Our neighbor is someone who's in need. Number two, our neighbor is someone close to us. Duh, hello, our neighbor not just our neighbor next door, but the person sitting next to you. I want you to take a second and look to your neighbor left or right and said, say, hello, my neighbor. That's your neighbor. Sometimes, you know what? We walk into church and we sit right next to somebody and we don't even see them. That's your neighbor. More than likely, that's your brother or your sister. And even then, God has called us to reach out and to love our neighbor. Maybe it's just a handshake. Maybe it's just a, for me, for the 500th time, remind me of your name? I hate when I do that, but. So your neighbor is someone close to you. It may be your coworker. It may be your physical neighbor who lives next to you. Do you know their name? Do you know where they go to church or if they go to church or not? Do you know if they love the Lord? Do you know them? It may be your coworker. It may be somebody as close to as in your house, in your family, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your son, or your daughter. So now that we know who our neighbor is, or at least a little bit better of an idea of who our neighbor is, what does it mean to love our neighbor? What does it mean when Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor? Well, number one in, in, in a, more of a direct translation, it's not love your neighbor as yourself. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So number one, it's a command. It's a command to love. It's not, hey, do we feel good today? Are we in a good mood? Is that person, you know, nice, good looking? Do they smell good? No, Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor. And that love is an agape love. It's, the, it's agape, it's the command to agape. It says, love them like I love you. 
Now, here's the problem. Real love is not a human endeavor. Real love is not something that's possible for us. We're fallen beings. We're fleshly beings. We may try, but we're incapable. So number two, what does it mean to love our neighbor? It means allowing God to do through us what we cannot do ourselves. Allowing God to do through us what we can't do ourselves. We're good at manipulative love. We're good at loving somebody because they love us back, right? It's easy to do that. That's not, that's not a, a God thing. We can do that. But the love we're talking about is not an emotion. It's a choice to let God move in us to do the things, like we said, we can't do on our own. So, great, Rob. We now know that love's a command and we know we can't do it. So what the heck? What are we supposed to do? What does it mean? How can we love someone when we can't? Well, it takes a step of faith. It takes a step of faith to say, Lord, love this person through me. I can't love them. I can't do it. Love them through me. And we allow God's spirit to work in and through us to love that person. It's the surrendering of ourselves to say, I can't. God, you can, and I'm going to let you. There was a lady recently that came to the house. It was my day off, and I can't remember. She had to drop something off or pick something up. And, and um, honestly, I think I had forgotten that she was even coming by, and she knocked on the door, and, and uh, my wife wasn't home, and I didn't have it. I didn't have enough to give. And I said, Lord, I can't love this person. I can't be who you need to be for this person or who I need to be for this person. I said, Lord, love her through me because I can't. I don't have anything left. And I opened the door. I opened the door and we spent probably 45 minutes talking at the door. I didn't have it, but God did. God loved her through me. And I guarantee you, not because of me, but she was different when she left than when she came. There was a smile on her face. You know what's funny? I was different too. Because I had made a step of faith and I saw God do his thing. So number three, what does it mean to love our neighbor? It means working for God's best in others and not necessarily their happiness. What? Are you, are you serious? Love is called, it's supposed to make people happy, right? It's supposed to make us feel good all the time. But God's call in true love is not always a call to make them happy. I talked to so many men in, in here at this church, actually the counselor here at this church. And um, I talked to, talk to men a lot of times and they say, Robert, I've been married to her for five years. I love her so much, but I cannot make her happy. It seems all that I do doesn't really have an impact. And I have to tell them, you know, you're not called to make your wife happy. You're called to love your wife. And sometimes that doesn't make her happy. 
but always it's for their best. Last week, you know, God's so funny. He does things, and, and uh, he knew that I was going to be up here today. And, and um, Pam came downstairs, my wife, my sweet, wonderful wife. And she came down with a text, and she showed it to me. It was a lady that knew her that was uh, asking for counseling, asking to help, you know, be connected to counseling. And in the midst of that, God just kind of went, Shoot. that's for her. And so even though, if those of you guys who know Pam, she is not, you know, the life of the party. You'll never see her on top of a table and, you know, going crazy. And, right? Yes. But she's the kind of person that if she talks, people listen because it's going to be awesome. And so God put that in my heart and I'm like, oh, Lord, no. Because it's not something that's going to make her happy. And I said, I think this is as much about you as it is about me. And being the awesome girl that she is and, and being as in tune to the spirit or more than I ever am, she says, yeah, I know. And God's at work. This agape type of love is not always romantic. When I have a couple in my, in my, in my office and I, we're talking about love and, you know, maybe even somebody says, I just don't love him anymore or I just don't love her anymore. What they're talking about is in love. They're talking about a feeling. They're talking about an emotion. And I hate to pop their bubble, but I tell them real love is not always romantic. Real love is, is, is hard sometimes. And for us to really love our spouse or really love our friend or our brother or, or whoever, it means that we're called to fulfill a role in their life. And that role is not to make them happy. That role is to love them to make them better. In Proverbs 27, 6, it says this, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. That's a bit of a, of, a, of, a, of a strange proverb. But what it means is, if, if I truly have a friend, if I truly have someone who loves me like God loves, at times when God calls them to, they're going to tell me some things that doesn't feel very good. They're going to tell me some things that might bring conviction into my heart. But I can trust it. I can rest in it to know that he is out for my best. She is out for my best. An enemy, somebody who really doesn't love us, they're like, Rob, you're great, man. Go ahead, go on. When they may see some things in my life, but they don't love me enough to do the hard things. And parents, some of those hard things may be about our kids. That we got to tell them stuff that they're not going to be real happy with. And they may sulk and they may, it may be a struggle for uh, days. And because we love them, we stick with it. Because we love them, we continue to speak the truth and hold to what's right and good. To make them happy? No. But for their best. Real love is not for sissies. Real love takes courage. Real love means we love without the chance of reciprocation. Even if we know they can't do anything for us and we still love, 
That's agape love. That's what God has called us to. So let's wrap this one up. What does it mean to love my neighbor? Number one, it's a command. Thou shalt love. Number two, it's impossible. We can't. God can. So we're just going to let him, right? Number three, it's for their best. It's for their best. So what happens when we do this? What happens when we really love our neighbor? Number one, if we take that step of faith and we say, Lord, love them through me, the power that, right, the power that raised Christ from the grave is active in and through our life. Ephesians chapter 1 says that. If we are a follower of Christ, if we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, that means that we have the power that raised Christ from the grave at any time at our resource to draw upon. And when we make those steps of faith, that power is activated in our life and in the person's life that we've been called to love. Number two, abundance is found there. Abundance is found there. When we love with a manipulative love, it's empty. It's self-serving. It's selfish. There's no real power there other than what we can do. But when we love like Christ loves, when we love with agape love, we find abundance there. We find joy there in the midst of what may still be hard. And number three, when we love people like God's called us to love them, we give them a chance to see God. We don't become God, but we become the hands and feet of him. 1 John 4.12 says this, No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. They get a chance to see God. So now that we understand a little bit more about what it means to love our neighbor, let's look at, at the second part. And usually we kind of just pass over this. But I believe that God desires for us to really look at what it means to love ourselves too. Because when Jesus was talking about the second greatest commandment, that as yourself creates a groundwork for loving others. So what does it mean to love ourself? We know what it means to love ourselves in a worldly sense. You know, when we first started talking about this, meaning me working this out with the Lord and what he wanted, I, I thought about um, an old boxer, Muhammad Ali. Um, you got to be old to know who that is. So, so guys, if you don't know who that is, ask your parents, ask your dad, probably. Mom probably knows too, because he was huge. And he would always, he was always entertaining. He'd always say stuff like, I'm so pretty. I'm so pretty. Or he'd say, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. Well, actually, he was the greatest for a little while in boxing, so that might not work exactly right. But he said, I'm a bad man. Muhammad Ali was a great example of this worldly love of ourselves because he was caught up in what he could do. I'm good because I can do this. I'm good because I can beat somebody up. I can rope a dope. Y'all remember that one, old people again. Old people laughter. Thank you. So some of us get there. Some of us, it's easy for us to love ourselves. What's that old country song? 
It's hard to be humble. Some of us, though, are on the other end of the spectrum. We, we a lot of times feel like the mud off of somebody's shoe. And it's easy for us to know that that's not good. But we also need to know that the conceited part is not good either. God has something that he wants to give to us to help us understand what it means to love ourselves in a healthy way. So number one, what does it mean to love ourselves? It means allowing God to love us. Allowing God to love us. I think that's the first step of loving ourselves. There's a story down in in Luke 10 about Mary and Martha. We've all heard it. Jesus is coming over for dinner. He's over for dinner with Mary and Martha. And and, uh, Martha's in the kitchen working, getting ready. And Mary is, where is she? Sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha's upset because she's working, right? She's the one who says, I got to work to be good enough. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make myself lovable. And she says to Jesus, Jesus, get her up off the floor. She needs to be in the kitchen helping me. And what does Jesus say? Mary, get up and help your sister. No. He says, she has chosen and I'm not going to take it from her. Mary had chosen to sit And let Jesus love her. Just to sit and bask in his presence. So how do we do that? How do we let Jesus love us? I believe Jesus can love us anytime. But I believe in the times that we set aside for just he and us to be quiet to sit with his word, to meditate on his word, and then just to be quiet. We can let the Lord love us. We can let the Lord remind us of all the things that are true about us. He can tell us again for the thousandth time, and that's okay, that we are his cherished child, that we are worth more than precious jewels, that we are his treasure. An easier way, I think, because I think it's hard for us a lot of times to sit and be still. I know I struggle with that. It's hard for us to quiet our heart. One of the easiest ways to allow God to love us is on a Sunday evening or a Sunday morning. We have the most incredible worship here. God's presence, his spirit is so active here. And we have freedom in our worship. And so sometimes, maybe it is you're standing and you're you're worshiping, maybe you're sitting. But to read the words, to sing the words, and to recognize that those are about you. Those truths are about you. And allow the Lord to minister to you. Allow the Lord to love you. Guys, it's, it's a... You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big guy, but I guess I have a, I'm a softy too. But a lot of times in the mornings or in the evenings and, and, and we're in the middle of worship and, and I'm experiencing God love me, I, tears just start flowing out of my eyes. Because when we experience the love of God, it changes us. 
And if, I, if tears didn't come out of my eyes, I, I don't know what would be happening. My heart would probably explode. But I have a chance to sit and allow God to love me. So the first, the first way that we can make a step to love ourselves is to let God love us. To let God love us. If we can recognize and live in this fact that God loves us, we're going to love ourselves because God loves us. Number two, it means accepting our God-given identity. I believe that we can learn to love ourselves by accepting our God-given identity. That's kind of the pocket there. Muhammad Ali, it's all about me, right? I'm a bad man. I'm pretty. I'm the greatest. Over here, I'm mud off somebody's shoe. And both of those are lies and both of those are destructive. But when we sit in the pocket and we understand who we are, we walk in that truth of our identity, that's where love comes. That's where confidence comes. I was looking at uh, a person out of the Bible that had as a great identity, that they knew who they were, and the Lord brought me to David. We all know the story of David and Goliath. And uh, David, his identity, among other things, was that of a warrior. And uh, I want to read a little bit out of 1 Samuel 17 that uh, (laughs) David was sent by his dad to go take his brother's lunch. You know, nothing, nothing expected out of David, but David knew his identity. He walked into this battlefield and he experienced what the Lord was doing in the midst of it. And, 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 and this is what he said to the king. The lunch boy is suddenly in front of the king. How does that happen? Because he knew his identity. And he tells Saul this. He says, your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. He was ramped up. He had a righteous anger. The Lord also rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear and will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So this, this young David, this shepherd boy, this, this delivery person was stepping up when all the men around them were shaking in their boots because there was this giant who had challenged the armies of God. And because David knew who he was, he stepped up and said, my God is able to do what I can't. With all the, 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 the weapons and, and, and armament of the army, he walked out there with stones and a sling and a righteous God that empowered him to do what no one else was willing to try. As a Christian, our identity is God-given and unshakable. The calling on David's life was God-given. Samuel, when he came to anoint him, he, 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 he wasn't expecting David. He saw all, these, all of Jesse's sons. They were cool. They were big. They were strong. And Jesse's dad didn't even call him up. And Samuel's like, that's not him. That's not him. God was telling him, that's not him. And he says, is there someone else? And Jesse said, yeah, there's David, but he's out in the field watching the sheep. It's probably pretty stinky right now. 
And Jesse called him and Samuel anointed him. We cannot change our identity no matter what we believe. So let's look at this identity that we have in Christ. Scripture has tons of truth about who we are that we are called to walk in. But just for tonight, just for right now, let's look at a few of them, okay? So in Christ, John chapter 1 says, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. So much of a child of God that in Romans it says that we are to call God Abba or Daddy. What? The king. The the one who spoke the universe into existence. We're to call Daddy? An intimate, close, uninhibited relationship. We're a child of God. Next, Ephesians chapter 1 says that we're adopted as his son or daughter. We're adopted as his son or daughter. And the cool thing about that is it says it was his pleasure. It wasn't like he saw Rob down there and he says, oh man, that poor kid. He needs some major help, so you know what? I'm going to bring him. I'm going to bring him into the family because he can't handle it. Well, I can't handle it on my own. But it wasn't like that. It was pleasure. He took pleasure in bringing me and bringing you into the family to say, you are no longer an outsider. You are my child, and you are precious to me, and I love you. Ephesians 2 says that we're his workmanship created for good work. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece created for things for us to do. 2 Corinthians 5 says we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. How many of us would love to forget our past? God says we should because we're a new creation. 1 Corinthians 6 says that we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The power that raised Christ from the grave and set him at the right hand of the Father. Boy, that'll affect what we do, what we think. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, if we have called on Christ, if we follow him, if we have faith in him, everywhere we go, God's spirit goes with us. Everything we see, we bring God into the midst of that. Changes the picture. But what a privilege, what an honor to be a vessel of God's spirit. He's a seal guaranteeing our inheritance. Romans 8 says this, we're more than a conqueror. David was a warrior. We're a conqueror. We are meant in our lives to be victorious. God's desire for us is to live a life of victory. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, we're a minister of reconciliation and an ambassador of Christ. So if some Saturday morning you wake up and you know, yeah, what am I going to do today? I don't really have anything planned. Maybe, maybe we try this. I'm going to be a minister of reconciliation today. I'm going to be an ambassador for Christ today. I don't think you could go wrong with that because that's who you are. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, in him, in Christ, we're competent. That passage says we're not competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. That was Paul. Big bad Paul that that, that God used to, to... to form the theology of Christianity. He's like, all I got is what God gives me. 
but I'm confident in him. Galatians 5.1 says we're free. In Christ, I am free. It says it's for freedom that we've been set free. So if you have that identity of being free, it says let's not become a slave to something else. Romans 5.8 says that we're loved. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are loved. Anybody struggle with that? Anybody struggle with these words that are said about us? If we don't believe the truth, it doesn't change the fact that it's still the truth. If we don't believe the truth, it doesn't change the fact that it's still the truth. Who are we to argue with God? God said it. No, God, no, nah, no, not really. That can't be true. Who are we to argue with him? The problem is, is that in this world, we, we hear three voices. All the time, we hear three voices, or at least two voices all the time. One is the voice of the world or the voice of the enemy. And the voice of the enemy is always a lie. To steal, kill, and destroy, that's his desire. And his ultimate purpose is to cause us to not live in the reality that we have as a child of God. To live a life of powerlessness. To live an empty life. Number two, the voice that we hear is our voice. And for some of us, we've believed number one voice for so long, uh, a lot of those things are, are, are active in our mind already. I'll be the first to tell you, if I'm, if I'm walking in the flesh, guys, I can beat myself up better than anybody can. Sometimes I think when God, when, not when God, but when, when the enemy comes up to us, he says, you know what? They got it today. I don't, mean to, I don't need to throw fiery darts at them today because you know what? All the stuff that I'd be telling them, they're already telling themselves. But we do that because we have believed a lie. The third voice is not always so loud. It's that still small voice. It's the voice of God. And for us to live in the truth, to live in the identity that we've been called to live in, we have to strive after that every day. We have to make a point to put ourselves at the feet of Jesus like Mary did and say, Lord, tell me who I am. Tell me what you have for me, and I'll do it. The problem is, is that's tough. The problem is, is that we have those two other voices that constantly are in our ear. So how do we move from living in a lie to living in the truth? Well, it takes another step of faith. It takes another step of faith. As we sang earlier in the, the, the song, God of Miracles, we ask, God, help us with our unbelief. Lord, help me with my unbelief. Lord, persuade my heart that I'm your child. 
that you are pleased with me, that I really am an ambassador, that I really am fearfully and wonderfully made, that I really am your workmanship, that I really am a co-heir with Christ. Because we're unbelieving believers. We say we believe these things, that we follow Christ, but when it comes down to it, the faith isn't there. The walk isn't there. We don't walk in our identity. When we love ourselves and we walk in our identity, it means not settling for anything but God's best in my life. When I get up in the morning and I walk as a child of God, not as a beggar sitting at the end of the table hoping for a scrap of food, but I believe that who I am is a child that sits at the table with all that God has to offer that he freely gives to me, you think that's going to change my day? You bet it will. You bet it will. So what I want you to hear today is is this. Loving yourself is not self-centered. Loving yourself like God calls us to love ourselves, to see ourselves as we truly are, to allow God to love us, is not self-centered. Actually, it preps us to love others like we never could before. It is the foundation for fulfilling that command to love others. So when we know how we're loved by God, how much more can we love others because we know that God loves others just like he loves us. So when we walk in that identity, when we walk, even if they are, they are a non-believer, we can still claim Romans 5, 8 for them that God loved them so much that in the midst of their sin that he died for them. And so we can say, Lord, I have experienced this love to the point that I can't be silent. I can't be still. I have got to go out and walk in who you've called me to be. When we walk in our identity, we walk insulated. We walk insulated from the world, not isolated, but insulated. When we come up to someone as we're going through our regular day, we don't need anything from them because we are complete in him. We know who we are. We know who our, what our identity is. We know the power that we walk in. And we can go and we can love like we've never loved before. Love with no strings attached. Agape love. We can say the things that we need to say and do the things that we need to do. But when we don't, guys, our life tends to be kind of empty. There's no power there. There's no purpose there. And there's no presence there. So when we go up to someone in our identity, we can simply say, Lord, what do they need from you today? And we can walk into that with confidence. And every time... God will always begin and end with love. That is his command. We can't love others. We can't love ourselves on our own. In God's spirit, through us, can change the world, can change a life, and it'll change ours in the process. So I want to challenge you guys tonight. 
Are you willing to be courageous? Are you willing to not listen to your heart that says, I'm not worth much? And ask God to help you with your unbelief that you are his child, that you are royalty, that you've been called for a purpose to, call, to live a life of abundance. And then will you receive the challenge to love others out of that power? That's your challenge for today. Father, we love you. We thank you that uh, in the impossible things, you roll up your sleeves and there's a big smile on your face and you say, I'm ready to go. And Lord, in this, we pray that we would walk in faith, that we would allow you to do the things in us and through us that we can't do on our own. And Lord, we will be forever grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.